Welcome to The Froffer Show, a show on all things cycling. In our interview series, we're going to delve into the world of cycling, chatting with athletes, coaches, presenters and commentators, all with a story to tell about the sport we love. Welcome this week to Hamish Gorman. Hamish is an FTP training coach, but he's also a sports scientist who's worked in clinics around Australia and has now started his own clinic down in Batemans Bay. Welcome, Hamish. Great to have you aboard tonight. Thanks, Benz. Thanks for having us. Superb. Look, mate, I mean, a little bit of a background for us and for people to get an understanding is I've known you now for quite a few years. You came onto my sort of horizon when one of my old mates and yours as well, Dr. Ian Boyle, suggested that there was this young lad in the valley that was smashing my Strava times. Of course, I had to have a look and see who this was. And you'd gone and taken the Talua Dam one and stuff like that. And I was thinking, oh, that's pretty good because he's climbing pretty strong. Didn't actually get to meet you then, but I know that Ian said, look, you were doing a sports science degree. And a little bit longer, a little further down the track, we had started up today's plan and we were looking for sports scientists. And you came and had an interview for a job with today's plan to start with, didn't you? And that's where we got back sort of and met each other properly. Yeah, mate, came full circle from Kangaroo Valley and kind of mountain biking. And I think kind of seeing you at that time, you were riding some of the 24-hour champs down, down in Canberra and that. And I was... I think I did my first team 24 hour when with a couple of other boys that you knew, a couple of the nickel boys and we did, we were about 15 or 16 at the time doing 24 hour races. And then yeah, went off to uni, did Bachelor of Exercise Science and then a Masters of Exercise Physiology. And then kind of from there fell into coaching and kind of obviously had a real interest in cycling and running and that kind of thing. And I ended up coaching and then working clinically as an exercise physiologist with a kind of big focus on injury rehab and I guess that interest in endurance sports kind of melding into trying to work with a lot of people and a lot of athletes who really struggled to get back on the bike or get back to running and how they can kind of best manage their training as well as their recovery and kind of working with physiotherapists and other sports scientists and coaches to get these guys back running, back riding and enjoying their sport again. Yeah, fantastic. And look, I mean, I know you came for that interview and I don't necessarily think it was the right, it was going to limit your options in terms of where you lived. And I know that was something which you wanted to come out of Sydney because you'd been working in Sydney. So then you started with us as an FTP training. You'd already been running your own coaching business and then came aboard with FTP training. And it's been fantastic having you aboard with us, mate. An incredibly knowledgeable clinician in terms of your sports science side of things and exercise rehab and as a great coach. So it's great to have you aboard and it's great to be able to have a chinwag with you tonight where I'm really sure that we can offer some, or you can offer some great insight into the listeners on recovery from injury, looking out for niggles, the things that can cause us issues on the bike, balancing training and recovery and different treatment, different ways in which we can treat issues with passive or active treatment. So that's what we're going to get into. That's what I want to delve into with you and pick your brain about. So you're working now in your own clinic. You've got several people down there with you. You work with athletes, but you also work with the general public. But from an athlete perspective, what sort of injuries do you normally see from the athletes that come in to see you? Especially from a cycling perspective, then there's kind of two ways that I see that injuries occur most often. One is like a trauma, like so an accident or a crash. And then the second is kind of overload like these gradual onset injuries and that can be kind of niggles that turn into tendinopathies or niggles that turn into kind of 
bursitis or those kind of things. So, and those tend to occur kind of most commonly in cycling at the knee, the hip, some lower back tightness, or sometimes some kind of shoulder and neck discomfort as well. But I think there in some ways are the kind of the most common and also the harder to deal with. I think sometimes when people have an accident and something happens and they kind of know what to do or they definitely go see a medical practitioner and get the right advice and that's kind of got an obvious pathway sometimes. But I think sometimes those niggles or those injuries that just kind of creep up on you, ones that can kind of slip under the radar but still kind of wreck a whole season if you don't get a hold of them and take the reins on it pretty quickly. So I think sometimes they're the ones that are actually more interesting to talk about and more interesting to help people work out, well, what do I need to do or how do I go from here to best manage this situation? Yeah, I've just been coaching for many years and obviously I've been riding for many years and some of the things that I've done have led to those sort of overuse issues. And I've often seen myself included, obviously you know me, I've had two major back surgeries. I don't think created or caused by bike riding through but mainly through jumping off cliffs on snowboards mainly. But my knees early on in the piece when I was starting out were the things that caused me issues. And there was inflammation under the kneecap and it was due to tracking issues. I was developing my lateral quads. They were getting really big, but medially they were weak and therefore the knee was being pulled out of track and it was causing all sorts of grief for me. You see that as one of the most common sort of injuries that cyclists have and If so, how do they know what's going on and what do they then do to get over it? Yeah, definitely. So I think those those kind of tracking issues and muscular imbalances and then become tracking issues and stuff with knees are, yeah, definitely really common. I think from my end, it's really useful for people to understand and really pay attention to their own bodies and what's going on and how things are starting to occur or how you feel day to day and is this different. So I guess with a gradual onset or a niggle that becomes a gradual onset injury, I guess paying attention as a rider to how you feel day in, day out, how you're recovering, what kind of load you're putting your body under is really important. And then I think what it is, is when something starts to niggle, you don't have to react that day to it. So something niggles on the bike when you're out riding and it's the first time it's happened or you haven't had that happen for a month or a year or something like that. It's just kind of put it in the memory bank. It's not react. It's not kind of don't have to do anything drastically different then and there. Put it in the memory bank and see what happens the next time you come out on the bike. And you should then ask yourself next time you come out on the bike is, is it better or is it worse or is it no different? And from that, you can start to see if there's any kind of pattern occurring. So if it's two or three days in the row and you go, okay, there's a bit of a niggle and, and my left knee's kind of, it was sore Monday and it's Tuesday, it was okay, but a bit sore. And now it's Wednesday and it's definitely getting worse here. Then I think the thing you've got to do is come up with what are your options from that point and whether you're going to try and self-manage that or whether you're going to try and get in and probably see a physiotherapist or your bike fit guy first off to see what we can do. And I think at that point there, it's useful to start having an understanding of, well, what's causing your symptoms and whether there's anything that you can do whilst you're out on the bike that manipulates or changes the way that feels. And I think from a a knee perspective, what you can do is you can play around with how you're riding and that could be stuff like high versus low cadence or high versus low power or in the saddle versus out of the saddle. And what you want to do is you want to do little blocks of those different, like kind of six different options and see 
does that affect the way you know you feel? So it could be three to five minutes at each and just kind of, again, put it in the memory bank, okay? It might be when I'm low power, high cadence, and I'm out of the saddle, my knee's pretty fine. But when I'm really grinding in the saddle at a low cadence and a high power output, I'm really getting this aggravation in my knee. And that starts to give you valuable information about what you're doing and how it's making you feel, but also valuable information to take to a clinician down the track that might help them work out how to balance your training and balance your recovery so that you can still ride and still do some stuff, but also improve your symptoms and really take control of your treatment. Yeah, look, that's very important, isn't it? Once it gets to a stage where it's really starting to hurt and play up, it's very easy to say, right, I've got to completely stop. But often, if you've identified the things then that are causing it out on the road, you can still exercise to a time frame that then doesn't cause any of those problems. And I've done this with several of my athletes, for instance. We know that out there with high power, low cadence, it was causing issues. And therefore, what we did is I said, well, you can't go out on the road to train because if you go out on the road, you can't control the environment. You can't control what you're doing, especially if you go out and back. You could get out 30, 40K and then it starts to hurt and then you've got to ride with it inflamed, which really causes the issues to get back. So in those situations, and hopefully I'm correct in doing this, is I will say we don't want to lose all those central adaptations or peripheral adaptations that have taken this last five months of block to build. Therefore, I will go, how long does it take before the injury starts? Can we get you on an ergo? And even if you did three 30-minute sessions in the day, with some ice and recovery and stuff between them, you're still getting an hour and a half of training in on the ergo, keeping the legs moving, keeping the cardiovascular system going, but you're not creating that extra bit of time that causes the inflammation to start. Is that a good methodology to use? I think it has a huge amount of value. And I think the key points are like, and the things that you're doing really well there is you're looking at tracking symptoms. So you're looking at having an idea of, okay, well, what makes it better and what makes it worse and what points does it kick in? And you're asking athletes to really buy into that and pay attention to their own body and where they're at. Then I think you're 100% right. Using the indoor trainer is a great option there because you don't get caught far from home. So if stuff starts aggravating or it gets past the point that you want to allow it to on that given day, then you can just pull the pin, call it quits and get off and that's enough. Or again, you can drop the power. You can really control how hard you're working and that could have a really big influence on symptom modification. I think we need to like obviously address the question of load and with most of these kind of gradual onset injuries, then there's a big portion of that. And we do so much work these days as cyclists and endurance athletes at tracking loading and and T-scores and all those kind of things that come into looking at that chronic training load and acute training load and that TSB, training stress balance stuff. Like there's such good ways to track that. And I think that's really important. And we can then look at that. I think we should be looking at, okay, is there a point where we need to pull that back a little bit and see if that affects the symptoms? Because again, most of the time, there's going to be a load component of that. And I guess then it's having a look at, is there anything that's happening externally as well that's creating stress to the system? Are you sleeping well? Are you actually doing your other recovery stuff like foam rolling or stretching or ice or massage? 
Are you eating well? Are you hydrated? So all those external things that you can then tick off that are going to make sure that your body's in good working order and has a chance to recover. But it's probably also about that time where you've got to ask yourself whether you want that external kind of clinical involvement. And I guess the best person to generally get involved at that time is probably a physiotherapist. And if you have a good physiotherapist, then what they can do for you is that they can rule out any kind of serious pathology. They can check you out and say, look, mate, like you think that there's your knees have been a bit sore and stuff, but there's nothing we're really worried about here. I think you just need to modify your symptoms and modify your training a little bit and you'll probably get back into, you'll be able to do this, you'll be able to talk to your coach and get back in on this. But if there is something that we need to be seriously worried about, then they're probably the most likely person to pick up on that as well. So having someone in your corner that you can turn to is really valuable as well. That makes sense. I mean, it's like everything, I think, from a coaching perspective. I know my limitations as a coach, and I think that's the key for every expert in a field is that you know you're only expert in your field, so therefore you draw in other experts in their field and you collate all that information, and that gives you the way in which you can deal with an athlete's issues in some shape or form, and collectively you all work out a strategy to deal with that. I think you're dead right. The way in which we can track load now With today's plan, for instance, we've got load scores for and differential load scores for multi-sports now with the release of the multi-sport platform. And it means that we can track all of those loads individually instead of how it's been done before, where it's just all been loaded into one. And of course, we all know that a 30-minute run is not the same as a 30-minute bike ride. And the fact that we can track all them now as coaches does give us an understanding of whether that increase in load is too great and therefore that is the stimulus or that's the precursor to a breakdown and an injury or an overuse and that inflammation in an area in the muscle or under the knee or what have you that's causing issues and then be able to address that again in the future so it doesn't happen again, eh? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And there's so many things that can be going on in an athlete's life or whether that's a professional or amateur athlete that can influence what's happening in terms of the way something moves or tracks or changes and whether that's someone who's like changed team and that's meant a change in bike and the setup's been slightly different, whether that's a change in where they live and a change in the style of riding that they're doing, whether that's that they've been traveling more often because they're busy at work and they're someone who has to be overseas all the time and they've just had this month of travel that's added all this stress to the system. I think the beauty now of, of coaching and diaries and the way that something like today's plan set up is that we can have these kind of comments that then recorded and are kind of linked to a point in time that also has a load to it. So we might see that, okay, well, we changed bikes and we were also at a higher load and there's this kind of combination of factors that have gone on there or that actually we had three big weeks of travel and then came back and tried to have a big week of training and we can see that, oh, well, it might not have been the load on the bike that was the thing that got you, but we didn't really, like, or we didn't take into account how much sleep you missed because you're on three flights in the last five days and then tried to get back on the bike too quickly without kind of easing your way back into it. But now that we can kind of have these kind of comments and record that information, I think as a coach, you can have a much better relationship and much better understanding of what your athlete's actually going through. 
Yeah, I mean, it has come on a huge amount, hasn't it? And the interesting component from myself now, and I know that it's something which we deal with lots of professional athletes, and I think as you go more from your amateur to fully professional athlete, that the things, the parameters change. And for me, the comments side of things, the rate, the perceived effort, the perceived issues, your how you feel, your muscle scores, etc., they are now... I believe as important, if not more important than those load bearing scores that are measurable, quantifiable through power, say, for instance, and accumulation of T-score and TSS or load. But when you then combine them all together, it gives us this huge picture, which we can really start to find correlations and similarities that then are the precursors to issues. And then we can go, okay, hang on, we've been here before, haven't we? Yeah. We can see that this is a pattern that we've... I was chatting with their client today exactly about this and I was having to play the hardball coach and the hardball coach sometimes says stuff you don't want to hear, doesn't <laughs> We should because that's what we're here for, isn't it? No, you're not racing this weekend. You've just told me a week you're tired <laughs> and you haven't been sleeping and now you want to go and race the weekend and it doesn't matter race. You, no, 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 you're not going to do it because when you've done this before, when we look back all your notes and we look through all the stuff, you've had an issue. And 100%. And that's why that subjective ratings, you can't go past them and they've got to be recorded, I reckon, nowadays. Like to, we can have all the technology that we want. We can have all the things that we want. But that subjective rating on how am I feeling? Like how stressed am I? How did I sleep? Or like how do I feel like fatigue-wise is so important. And when people ask me, well, well, check out my power numbers or check out my heart rate and tell me if I'm overtraining. Well, we can do that. But without that subjective rating, I think that sometimes those numbers do not have the power that they have. If we've got weeks or months of this subjective tracking of this data that we can look at and we can have overload in terms of T-scores and stuff going on, but if we have subjective ratings that are saying, yep, feeling good, training well, going really well with stuff, then we can be confident that that person can keep training and keep working hard. Whereas if they've got the same T-scores, then reporting they're feeling shit and that they're struggling and that they're not getting through, they're not feeling good with that workout, then that's two very different things. And so I think as a coach, if you're not looking at that subjective information alongside that objective, you're missing a massive component. And I think it's probably like something that, now that we're so busy as coaches and now there is all this objective stuff and all this online stuff, we've got to not forget is that we've got to actually listen to the athlete and listen to what's going on. 100%, like you say, I believe it's one of the big things now. And my thing is, how do you feel? You know, that's what I say. Simple. I, yeah, it's really simple. How do you feel? And I chat and I chat. As you well know, we control through the data. And when it comes to analysing race scenarios and things that are limiters to performance, of course, the data gives us that. But the day-to-day -day stuff, when I do my calls with my athletes, I'm more trying to get a feel for where they're at in their head. Are they bouncing stuff off me? Are they feeling good? I can hear that. Are they feeling down? I can hear that. Yeah. And therefore, that gives me a huge amount of information. The problem here is, of course, we're talking from that coaching perspective. And having a coach is not a luxury everyone can have. And a lot of people will buy a plan. They could come on and get an FTP plan, for instance, and not have the backup of a coach. And that's where the things become issues because a very driven individual 
will generally miss those signs, won't they? And that is the problem that causes most of the problems that we face is that you go, oh, well, my knee's niggling a bit, but I've got this big race coming up in six weeks' time. So oh, I'm just going to push through, just going to push through. Or I haven't slept really for the last week and I'm really ir- irritable and I'm grumpy and my mates are now smashing me where they never did, but I need to train more because obviously I'm not fit enough. And they push on yeah. and push on into a chronic fatigue state. That is the issue and the problem with the self-coached athlete is being able to understand those things and self-manage that, isn't it? It's so blooming hard for them. Yeah. And look, I think having someone there who can be an objective, like a voice of reason for you, allows you to fly closer to the edge. It allows you to kind of take a bigger risk in your training in terms of your load and stuff, but still have someone who's going to look out for you and make sure you don't fall off it. Whereas I think sometimes if you're self-coached, then it can be hard to be objective about what's going on. And it's hard to pull yourself up before something bad happens. And I think that that can be the role of clinicians and whether that's physiotherapists or strength and conditioning coaches to really help coaches also keep track of those things. And that can be from that injury side as well, right? If we come back and talk again about those overload style injuries or those niggles that become injuries, then having someone else who can have a quick word to your coach and to then say, like he came in today and he's been training hard, but when I checked it out, like it is still irritated and it is still niggling him. He might not have told you that, but that's what he's telling me. And I think having good communication between like a clinician and a coach is so vital and something that's actually not done really well in a lot of places. And I think that should be the responsibility of all parties, whether that's the coach asking the athlete or the athlete asking the clinician, just give me something that I can tell my coach or can you have a quick word with them? Because that communication allows us to all be on the same page and, and all actually push together to help the athlete get the most out of themselves. And I think you shoot yourself in the foot if you're going to see a physio and your physio doesn't talk to your coach, then people can be pulling in different directions or expecting different things from you. And unless they, everyone knows what's happening, then you're not going to get the most out of yourself and you're not going to recover the way you want it. Yeah, we've seen this so many times, eh? And if we look at something like, it's more difficult, sorry, to do this in a day-to-day stuff for most coaches and most smaller coaches that they're a one-man band and they're running their coaching business to be able to then communicate with all the different medical practitioners that might be on the periphery of that particular athlete they're looking at. I know when we come to athletes within the national system, for instance, or I've just gone through, as you know, I've we just went through the Stil von Hoff thing. And I still went off well, a client of mine and a mate of mine that I've looked after for years. And we have him selected for Com Games and he's absolutely stomping and everything's fantastic. We're top of the world. Comes down and fractures six vertebrae. <laughs> and we go, right, okay, so that's probably the end of that. But it wasn't the end of that because through a collective group of experts, we all pulled together. And we had group meetings. We got the eminent people in each of the areas. An ex-client of yours, Will, who's our team doctor, was involved from the team perspective. He would liaise with the doctors and experts, spinal, physios, etc. in Melbourne. We would collectively get together as a group. Where is he at at this moment in time? This is Cycling Australia. And it was brilliant. Obviously, you're talking an athlete that's going to go to Com Games and potentially can win it. But that's how it should be. That's how all of these things should interact to get the best outcome for the athlete, isn't it? 
Yeah, and look, I think on a simple perspective or on a like an individual athlete perspective, whether that's someone who's semi-professional or amateur, then it's just taking the time that if you're going to go to the effort to go to a physio or you're going to go to the effort to go to an S&C coach or have a cycling coach, then just be open in what you want from those guys. And one of the things that you want from them is you want them to talk to each other. And if the athlete doesn't request that of their coach or doesn't request that of their physio or of their strength and conditioning coach, then it's very unlikely to happen. And so I guess the onus has to go back on the athlete themselves in that scenario. They're the one that controls their destiny and it's them that's the link between the clinicians or the coaches. And so it's probably them that has to drive the communication. And so I guess like putting it out there to amateur athletes and stuff is you've got to be prepared to ask and you've got to be prepared to ask your physio or ask your strength and conditioning coach to contact your cycling coach and say, what should I be doing or what shouldn't I be doing or should I be loading this week or do I actually need to rest? And if that information gets passed from one person to the client and then gets communicated in with the coach, then we can really make a big difference into the overall scheme of things and then probably really to the rate of recovery and i think the steel von hoff thing is a classic example of that if people hadn't been talking to you fans then as a coach then you're not going to be prepared to take the risks in terms of the loading because you're not sure about where someone's at totally for me it was i would listen to steel <laughs> it's when you know an athlete and I, how you're feeling he goes actually i feel okay and then i look at the numbers i go oh Actually, that's very good because <laughs> you can't do that if you're buckled. You just can't do that. And then with all the other tests and stuff that he was going through, that backed it up. I've had some great moments with Steele over the years. That was one of my best moments and um, to see him win that gold medal at Com Games. But it was a great moment for all those people involved because Cycling Australia took a leap of faith. You know, a guy broke his back and fractured six vertebrae only sort of six weeks, seven weeks before it. To be out there doing that is pretty darn special. But it is this collective group of people getting together that with all their group and knowledge and experience that then gives that athlete the confidence to know, doesn't it? Because he was told that everything was okay and that it was 100%. There were, even if he had another major crash, there was going to be no more risk of doing injury to his spine than there would have been in a normal situation. That's a great call because they knew that as experts and it allowed him to go and win the Com Games medal, which was just blooming Yeah, and that's a really interesting thing is it's that reassurance that was given to him that allows him to also then perform. Yeah. Because I think without that, without that reassurance that, no, you're okay and, and you've done everything right, then you wouldn't expect him to be able to take the risks that you need to and to perform the way you do to win an event like that and to go like that. And so I guess, again, to come back to athletes and to come back to that treatment stuff, it's one of the things that I think is really important is for people to understand and be actively engaged in their treatment or actively engaged in their recovery. So that's having a good understanding of what's actually going on and what does someone think is happening with my knee, for example. What treatment am I receiving? So whether that's kind of active-based stuff like exercises, whether that's passive is someone like ice or tape or someone might be providing ultrasound or something like that to it. It's understanding what is a treatment, what's it actually going to do for me, and how long might this take to recover from? And is there anything else that I can be doing? And I think that 
if you're not asking your treatment provider those questions and you're not pushing the treatment provider to provide you answers to those things, then you're probably not getting as good a treatment as you could. And if your treatment provider can't answer those questions for you and can't tell you why you're doing certain treatments and how it's going to help Mm -hmm. you, then I think you really need to question whether that's worthwhile or not being there. And I think that the industry as a whole, like say the rehab industry as a whole, has really picked up its game and is providing better treatment. And there are so many good clinicians out there, especially in the major centres like Sydney and Melbourne and the like, that if you're not going to a good clinician and you're not getting answers to those questions, go somewhere else and find someone who can really provide you the most up-to-date and current evidence-based treatment for your injury. And I guess us as a coaching group, we now have people that we access and can access in all the major centers that we trust. And I'd be happy sending athletes to those guys. And I know that they're going to get the best treatment possible. And I know they're going to get, we're going to get communication back as a coach as well. And I think developing those networks around athletes and developing those networks around your coaching network helps you actually get the most out of that. And I guess a big takeaway for me is don't be passive in your treatment. Be an active participant and make sure you're asking your questions. And that's the way you're going to get the most out of it. Yeah, look, that's superb advice. We totally agree. And as you well know, and like I've already said, is that I think from a coaching perspective, I understand what I know and what I don't. And therefore, that's why it's great having you as an FTP training coach. It's great having our strength and conditioning experts that are out there pushing the boundaries of knowledge in that area. It's great having our doctors that we know that are in our circle and our skills-based coaches. You go to the people who are the best to deliver that overall package, which gives the best for the athlete. And in the rehab side of things, you're dead right. People tend to neglect it. They go, oh, it'll get better. It'll be all right. They go and get treatment. And they're not active in that treatment. They just think that it's the bit of ultrasound is going to do the job. And I suppose like any business, some people just go through the process and it doesn't get better. So actively to take out of this or things to take out of this would be you're going to go to your physiotherapist. And if you have a coach, cycling coach, you would make sure that they are in touch with each other. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And then again, like if one of the things that I like about what we do at FTP training and stuff is that the coaches can then be asking the questions as well of the physios or or of the other treatment providers, whether that's chiro, osteo, exercise physiologist, anyone else. The coach can help the athlete then know what questions to ask, know what treatments are going to be likely to be provided for a certain injury. And if stuff falls outside of that or it's not something that we've seen before, then we want to ask why. And I guess that's a really good example of where the coach is then also in your corner and the coach can be the person that helps you know what questions to ask and they understand where you've come from, they understand where you're trying to go and why you're doing what you're doing. And it might be the case of that the clinician saying, well, you've got to take this month time off the bike or you've got to rest and you're going, well, I've got my A race or I've got this major goal for the year in three weeks and I want to understand the risks or what can I push through it and is that worth it? And having a coach kind of be able to be in your corner for that allows you to have a really well-structured discussion with your treatment provider to understand, well, what are the options here? And there is never just one option. And so having a discussion around those things, I think is really important. And having a well-informed discussion and having people that you know and trust to help you have that discussion and absolutely vital. 
Yeah, brilliant, mate. Look, I think we've talked and we focused on the injury side of things, maybe on the knee, but I think broadly we've covered that whole area of interaction between all the clinical side of things and your coaches, you as an athlete with your clinical side, dealing with injuries and issues and problems as an athlete is something that we need to be active in and seek out the professionals that can give us that advice and help that we need. And I think we covered loads, mate, and I'm super stoked to have you aboard and give that wealth of knowledge that you have. And thank you so much for joining us for the podcast this week. Absolute pleasure, mate. And any other questions and any other thoughts, mate, don't hesitate. Always give me a buzz. And yeah. Yeah, happy to have another chat. Thanks, buddy. So, I mean, in terms of your practice, you're down in Batemans Bay. Yeah. What are you generally doing down in, in Batemans Bay yourself, Hamish? We, I work out of a gym that I bought earlier in the year and we've got two and a half EPs, so exercise physiologists and a couple of personal trainers working down here. And we work closely with a really good physiotherapy clinic as well. And basically, we do a whole bunch of complex and chronic injury rehab. So I see a lot of knees and shoulders and lower back pain, lots of post-surgery work and stuff as well. But then I'm also working with some kind of local young athletes across multiple sports, really, AFL, cycling, running, swimming, to really provide some, I guess, guidance in terms of a, a strength and conditioning progressions and stuff in a regional setting, which has been really interesting. I've kind of been used to working out of Sydney and stuff like that where people have such easy access to such good people. And it's been really interesting being down here in Batemans Bay and kind of realising that that access to knowledge and stuff hasn't always been as good for a lot of the local athletes. So I'm really enjoying that with a lot of the younger guys down here and really enjoying kind of being involved in the local community and, and cycling community and stuff. And, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Brilliant, mate. Yeah, look, I know you put a huge amount of work in. I know setting up businesses is not an easy thing. So again, well done, mate. It's great to have you aboard and it's great to have your expertise on the podcast this week. Thanks very much, buddy. Cheers, mate. Talk soon. Cheers, bud. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Froffer Show, a show on all things cycling. I hope you enjoyed this episode and gained some real value from it. If you'd like to know more about FTP training, head to our website, www.ftptraining.com or on our social channels on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. If you really like this episode, we'd love a rating on this podcast. It really helps. Okay, guys, catch you on the road or trail.